This episode contains scenes which are not suitable for children and which some listeners may find distressing. This podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. And I remember putting my hand in to grab the gun and they everyone started shouting. Everyone was like, don't, don't touch it, don't touch it, don't touch it. I was like, I'm, that's it. And they were like, no, yeah, just leave it there. And then they surrounded it, put all the tape and all, and the fellow came and they pulled it out and they took the pictures and... Then you could see all that face had changed, and then they were all like, oh my God, we've, we have to go on, and everyone's ringing everybody, and they're all ringing the police stations, and ringing, I don't know who they're ringing. And they're like, we have it, we have to go on. I just remember them saying, just, they were just saying, well done, well done, and telling the truth, and all, you've done the right thing, and they were like, you know, what else is in the fields? Like, so. And then I was just going around, I was just saying, pulling black sacks up everywhere, flaffing. There's drugs, there's money, there's heroin, there's coke, there's money. The field was just full of it. Like, it took absolutely everything. We, we went back to the car and uh, it was just me and Toddy by ourselves. And he started driving towards... He started driving towards Ballymoon. I didn't understand what happened. So I thought we were going back to the police station and then he drove into my housing estate, where I was from. And this was in the middle of the day now, like, but not middle, let's say about 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock in the morning. So everyone was out where we were from, everyone would have been out, like, everyone was standing at the van. And um, he drove up my ma's road. And this was, I was in a detective car, obviously. And there was a, um, a police car outside my ma's house. They were staying there, like, to make sure nobody attacked or whatever. Well, they got Kenny in there. And I, I went up to the, got up to the house and then Todd just said, you're going to have to, you're going to have to say goodbye now. Like, you're going to have to say goodbye to your man, your sister's in. I went into the house and my ma was there and my sisters were there and my sisters were crying and my ma gave me money. She said, you're going to need some money, take that. And um, my sister, my older sister was sobbing. Nirvana, she gave me, um, she said, like, she clothes and... She clothes that were there from when I lived there that time. And she, whatever she had that was there, and she had them all washed and everything ready and all. And she gave me a bag of stuff. And, and that was it then. That was my mum went out to the door and all the neighbours were out. And she told them all to fuck off. We didn't mind their own business. But they were all out in the street and the water was getting around. What I'd done. And yeah, so man off the plot a bit. They were roaring down the street like a fishwife. But, uh, she was only picking up for me, so what can you do? That was it, really. It was just, I'll never forget it, just getting in the car and having to look back and like they're standing at the door. I could still see that, all their faces now. All my sisters and my ma. Literally, you could, I was like, it was the longest drive down. We lived on this long road and I could just see the tears rolling down their faces and I just knew it was never going to be the same again. This is the witness, in his own words. Episode 8, The Trial. I was mortified, I was embarrassed. Like. I was embarrassed. 
I was black and blue. I was fucking gaunt, skinny. And I was just exhausted. I didn't know where I was going. They took me to a hotel, brought me to the room and told me to uh, try and have a sleep. I knew that was going to happen. I hadn't slept in years. So <laughs> I remember them saying, go in and have a rest, like, try and get your head down. I can remember the last time I'd slept, so well, not without anything that Kenny had given me to sleep, so. And even then I didn't sleep half time because he'd fucking wake you up or the phone would wake you up ringing someone looking for drugs or him doing something he shouldn't have been doing. So there was a guard standing so I thought I couldn't go anywhere. I wasn't going to try anyways. <laughs> Where was I going to go? Then a, GP, a doctor came, like a GP, like. Yeah, that was difficult. I took my clothes off, got me to take my clothes off and he wanted to see my body. Then he didn't take pictures. He, 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 he wrote... It was really like a, it was like it was like a, it was like a, it was like one of them films you see. It was like he kind of wrote down like the left cheek marked bruised, and he was kind of saying these things as he was writing them, and then he was like torn to this side, and there was things he could see that I couldn't see. I don't know because you're not really looking at you. When it's on your body, you can't really see it. So he was saying like torn that way and torn this way, and then he was like, "Why is your face so tender?" I remember him touching my face and all, and like it was all sore and soft, and, and there were marks. And he was, and he was saying, "Why is that marks there? And why is that marks here?" And he'd say, "Like well, what's been going on?" So then I tell him, and then he, he was just writing down on the marks on my body and what what had been happening. And then he left. I think he prescribed me antidepressants. Then he left and. There was a mirror in the bedroom, and I just remember standing in front of the mirror with no clothes on looking at myself. And I just looked like a skeleton. So when you're in those rooms by yourself at this point, I mean, what are you thinking about? Are you trying not to think? It's just, no, yeah, I, I'm trying not to think, and then I'm trying to think, yeah, I'm angry, and then I'm sad, and then I'm regretful, and then I'm worried, and then I'm thinking, did I do the right thing? And There's so many different emotions going through your head, like... Yeah, it was very hard at the beginning, because I couldn't get my head around what I'd... Like, part of me was like, yeah, you're doing the right thing, you're the part of like, oh, my God, you're after, like... They're locked up because of you, like... Then I was worried about my family, or what was going to happen to them, and... It was a constant just flow of different emotions, yeah. And so, there was a bail hearing at some point? That's what happened, yeah. I was in the hotel, and I was in the bedroom, and... That was looking after me, knocked on the door and said, Toddy was downstairs. And I remember going down the stairs, and Toddy was there. And they says, Joe, you're gonna have to come with us to Clover Hill to court today. We need you to give evidence. And I was completely just nearly fell off the chair because that's not how I didn't, I didn't think that's how it worked. Like, I thought I would never have to see them again until I had to give evidence in the trial. And 
they said Henshin that wasn't employing for Bell, but Kenny was. But that's what he was like. He just had a neck like a jockey's bollocks. Like, he didn't give a fuck. Like, he's that deluded. Like, he really thought he was going to get out. And I was afraid he was going to get out then because I was thinking, well, why would he try it or not? He must have some reason to try, like. And he just said he'd be well able to do it. Um, so I really didn't have a choice. It just happened real quick. Basically, what happened was these guys came in jeeps, they put us in the car, they went up the nice road, I think they drove up the wrong side of the nice road, like going against the traffic, the, the blue lights were on, the cars were going so fast, I was literally just stuck to the seat. We got to Clover Hill, they took us underneath the ground, underneath the prison, because the court is part of the prison, they took me underneath the prison, and all the guards were surrounding us, and I couldn't see anything. Like there was, a, there was a, like about six men standing around me and they were all guards and they were all armed. So basically what they done is they kept walking and I was in the circle. When they moved, I moved. And then as I kept walking, they just opened up. And as they opened up, I just seen this box. The steps were a box. And there was a judge sitting there. And I got up into the box and I turned around to sit down and then I just looked out. Everyone in the courtroom, like every person you didn't want to see was there. Every gangster, every criminal, every Kenny's family, Henshin's family. And then I just looked him right and then he was just, Kenny was just standing in the, in the box, like in the corner, like a fucking jack-in-the-box jumping up and down. Like he'd a pair of tracks to the bottom of that and a t-shirt and I've never seen him wear tracks or tracks on bottoms in my life. And he was jumping up and down like a madman, trying to, uh, trying to get me to, to look at him. I couldn't look in front of me because when I looked in front of me, his dad was in front of me. When I looked around that way, he was there, and then the judge was there, and then I had the, the barristers in the asking me questions. And then the judge refused bail then. The judge said that he believed also if Kenny was to be given bail, that I'd be killed. And that was it, and I was brought back out, and everyone was just making all them calling me names. I was walking back out. I was on the way out, I was more aware of who was there and what was there. I was, was a lot more anchored and I then I kind of really hit home what I'd done. <laughs> really after fuck they can cause mayhem here, like it's gonna I kind of felt there was gonna be big repercussions, like this wasn't that small, like I'm after as they say, I'm after breaking the breaking the the golden rule. I was after I was after ratting, like. That's when I met the witness protection. When I walk back into into the back of the room, that's when I get introduced to the guys from the witness protection. And they basically said that I would, they would be taken over soon and I would go into the witness protection. And they that's when they promised me I could stay with my family, I could stay with my mom if I gave the evidence, I could stay in Dublin, I could stay in Ireland with my mom and my family. I wouldn't have to move and they'd protect me. But obviously that didn't happen. Mm. I mean, at that point, had you been made aware before that that witness protection was going to be the route that you were going to take? No. This was the fourth time I'd heard that I'd met. I knew there was going to be some sort of protection. I just didn't know what, what it was. And so between the, the bail hearing and the trial proper, how much time? Oh, God. Um, Just over the year, in about two months, three months. Yeah, just over the year. It was in the summer it was. It was fine for the fourth month or two because I was still with the guys from the investigation. They were brilliant. They, I could go and see my family any time I wanted. My family were brought to see me. 
they were just they were a lot more compassionate. They were a lot more understanding. Um, they could see I was struggling. And they could see I needed my family. They could see I needed my mum, my sisters, and they could see once I had them with me, I was, I was like a different person once I had my family with me. Like they, I was a lot stronger. Like once me, you put my man next to me, it was, it was a different story. Like. The guards had arranged, they said to me, we heard you were doing your junior shit when you were back in Ballymun. I said, yeah. He said, do you still want to finish it? I said, yeah. They said, well, we're going to get you the books. Toddy was brilliant. You got me the books, history books, maths books, English books, geography books. And what I done was is there was a fella called John that used to look after me. He was me minder and he was with me every day. And he used to bring me to the race course where the horses were. He used to bring me there when the daytime there'd be nobody there, and we'd sit in the stand and we'd and I'd study, and he'd ask me questions. So we'd do one day we'd do geography, one day we'd do history. So Toddy said we'll give you a few weeks to study. John will help you, and then we'll arrange for the uh, examiner to come to to meet you. This is the most surreal thing that ever happened. Like, so I study for five or six weeks. And they said, hey, Toddy, I remember Toddy saying, well, are you ready? I said, yeah, yeah. So they brought me to, to the guard station and <laughs> went into the guard station. I go into, this, go into the room. They bring me into an interview room where they, they question people. And then the next minute, this man comes in and introduces himself. And I'm not allowed to tell him uh, anything about me. He's not allowed to tell him anything about me. He's just told me that I'm the examiner. It was just surreal because I was in an interview room where I'm used to being questioned by the police. I was telling me a junior search and the guard was standing outside the door like with a gun. So it was just surreal. And then I got the results back and I passed them all. So yeah, it was, it was actually probably one of the best achievements I've ever done. I was living in I was living in an apartment and the guys came to see me and said they were leaving and the investigation and I wouldn't see them again until after the trial and then like, I, I, I'd never walk with them like, they'd never be able to walk with me again anyways but like, I'd see them at the trial but what happened was then I was living in an apartment and my phone rang and it was a private number I answered and they said it was the guys and the detection they said come downstairs to the gate with me outside. and I got into the car and I was three of them and they brought me out onto the coast road into a car park. And a man in the front said to me, uh, you got a mobile phone? I said, yeah. And he said, uh, give it a look at it. I gave him a mobile phone, he took the chip out and snapped it. And he had me another phone. I said, no, that's the phone you use from that one. And straight away, they were just cold. And they were there to do a job. And their job was to keep me alive and get me to the trial. There was no compassion there was no it was just literally it was a job to them and it wasn't like it was with other girls and yeah they just they wanted me evidence and that's all they wanted they needed to keep me alive and they needed to get me to the witness box and they needed to make sure I gave the evidence so there was their job was to get me to the criminal court and to convict Kenny and Henshaw So before the trial, before you actually give evidence, did they make you aware of what the plan was in terms of how they were going to protect you? No, no, no. That's the thing. If they're not allowed, that's like them coercing it. It's like them giving you, they couldn't tell you 
what was going to happen or how it was going to happen. Because if I got questioned in the witness box, they would have said I was being bribed. I was, so they couldn't talk to you or anything like that. Everything was, give the evidence, then we'll talk about it afterwards. We can just tell you that you'll definitely stay in Ireland, which I'm at. We can promise you that. That was one group telling me, and then the other group was telling me, oh, we can't do that. He's telling you, lawyer, you shouldn't be listening to him. And then I'm on all these antidepressants and I'm drinking every day, drinking vodka. I haven't even drank vodka before in my life. It was just stuff that I was doing. I was just, just pure depressed. Like. It was horrible. Like, and I felt shit about myself. I was obviously suffering from my mental health. Like, they didn't get me proper help. Like, I was on my own. And it was just chaos around me. It was protected, but it was protected chaos. And I had no facilities and I wasn't given the facilities that I should have been to really help. It was just awful. Like, as I said, I had one, group, one group telling me this, I could stay, another group telling me I had to go. And it was awful. Like, I tried to kill myself, took overdoses, and I was destitute. Like, it was horrible. Like, I barely ever could see my family. And I was just traumatized. Like, like I was feeling sorry for. There was at times I was lying in bed thinking, Oh my God, I'm after getting Brian locked up. Like, but yeah, he was the murderer and he was the abuser. And I felt like I should have been locked up. It's just there was, there was things that, like, that was how traumatised I was. I just didn't understand what was, what was going on. And I didn't know when the trial was going to happen. It must be difficult to see ahead. You know what I mean? Like, you know there's a trial coming up, but you don't know when. And... Like, so you kind of just have this, you're just waiting. Like, is that is that what you're doing? You're just... It's like what I've done. I kind of like what I've all, I still like, my life's still like that now. It's quite, I just kind of, I am kind of more on control of my life now. I kind of don't make long-term goals, I do short-term goals. Because my life is, a, I've been a lot of waiting around. And, but yeah, that's what it was like, just waiting every day. You didn't know what was happening, when the phone was going to ring, when the trial was going to start. Like, do you know how I found out? I was driving down the road. We are driving down Constitution Hill in town. And the next minute on the radio, it pops up. This man started talking, saying, two men will go on trial today for the murder of Jonathan O'Reilly at Cyclover Hill Prison on the 17th of April 2004. And the expected state witness, Joseph O'Callaghan, will say that these... But I'm sitting in the car and no one has even told me this. So can you imagine the shock on my face? I'm looking at your man next to me, like, you might, like the, the mind I'd do. And I'm like, when are you going to break this to me? Like, I need to go, it's not my, not my job, Joseph. The head, I just, I just, I follow the rules up above. And, but that's how, I, that's how I found out on, on the radio. I was like, what the fuck, like? So I had, like, literally a couple of, I had a couple of days' notice. And then it was, then it was just war, then it was, it was, then I knew I was in the biggest fight of my life, like, I thought I'd been to war already, but this was, yeah, this was, I was going to, I was going to battle, and it was me against them, it was, it was, you could see the battle knife I'd drawn then, like, and there was no one going to fight for me, like, I had to fight for myself. The only person I had was my ma, like, and what could she do, she couldn't save me from this. I remember my mom came, um, my mom was brought to see me and she was like, well, what are you going to wear like? And I was like, 
Swim all going to waste you. We can't cut the court in a tracksuit. Like. <laughs> I was like, well, I don't know, man. I said, I've never done this before. I'm kind of looking at it. I was like, it's not, it's not something I... I remember just the two of us looking at each other. I was like, it's not something I do regularly. Like, um, I've been to court before. So I'm more used to the police station and the cell than the, the courtroom. And she said, well, you can't go like that. So I remember my ma kicking off and she was like, there's no way you're just sending him into a courtroom and attract him. I want to bring him shopping and to get him so clothed, like, to, to, to wear, like... She was like, what am I going to wear? She said, you're going to have to wear a suit. And I was like, I've never worn a suit in my life, man. I said, but you're going to wear one now. She got on to the, the guards to get them to bring us. My mum paid for it, like, and she brought me to Grafton Street and went to some suit shop or whatever. And she got short and toys and all that. I remember I looked like a right fucking idiot, but I don't know. But Ma was having none of it. She was like, there's no way I was going out there looking like a tramp, like. So when the court was going on, the judge was let us sit in the back. So we'd sit in the judge's chambers for, like, safe, for safety reasons. So my ma would sit with me. And um, I had an MP3 player. And that's what I listened to. I'd just wait. You just had to wait to be called, basically. So I'd have to go every day. I'm just sitting in the courtroom. So I wouldn't know what was going on. And yeah, I, just, I had headphones in for about two or three days and my ma was there and I just paced the floor. Paced the floor up and down, up and down, up and down. Um, I waited to be called, and then they, then, I, then they came and said, you're going to be called shortly. You could hear a pin drop. It was like something over a uh, film, it was just literally, you could just hear, it was just like that. Bush feeling, they're just everyone's head just turned. The door opened and everyone's head just just turned. And I mean, I've never seen so many people in my life. I'd you swear to give them something away for free. I walked up a bit and I turned right, but this time I could see everyone. This time it wasn't like the first time, I could see everybody. And then the next minute, I literally they, I could touch them. They were that close to me. I just looked to me waiting. Henshin was there and Kenny was next to him. And I could literally physically put my hand out and touch him. And just my whole shivers went up my spine. Like, I just literally nearly passed out. And I got into the box. And I sat in the box and I just looked out onto the thing and it was just the biggest courtroom ever. And it was just full of people. Everybody was guards, criminals, Families, just everybody, Marlowe, all the, there was just gangsters everywhere. There was just, everybody was there. And then they just turned, whipped out a Bible and says, do you swear to tell the truth? All that stuff. I had to do all that swearing the Bible. And, all. and, I, and I couldn't, I couldn't get my head around. He was so close to me. I remember I kept looking because I was afraid he was going to grab me or something. But I knew after the first day it was it was warlike. I was just I was just telling the truth and I was kind of being polite and I, was, I wasn't trying to get into a slanging match. I wasn't trying to get into all this. Do you know what I mean like me? I was just trying to go in, tell the truth, and get the fuck out of there. But when they started coming for me, then like it was different. They were like calling me a criminal and 
they said Operation Anvil was was a big operation set up to bring down Marlow Highland and the Westies, and they said Operation Anvil was set up to bring me down. They said I was the biggest gangster in, in North Dublin, and Kenny walked for me, and Henshin walked for me, and Marlow Highland walked for me, and I was this big gang boss. And, and then they turned around and said that Kenny didn't murder Jonathan O'Reilly, I actually murdered Jonathan O'Reilly. I was, I'm sitting on the chair and I was absolutely baffled. Like, I was blown away. You should have heard the stuff they were saying. And I was just looking around the court and I, the stuff they were coming out with like, was just madness. Like. And then I kind of thought, it's, this is war now. Like, this is, it's on now. Like, this is a fight. Like, this isn't, it's not fair. Like, it was them against me. Like, and then I started getting a bit more aggressive and I started going back and forth with your man. And when he was, I wasn't playing ball then. I wasn't just being nice and accepting yes and no. I was I was giving up back then. I said to him, I said, if he didn't do it, tell him to get out. Tell him to stand up now and get in the witness box and give evidence. I said I didn't do it, so that's why I'm standing here. I'm in the witness box giving evidence because I know I didn't kill Jonathan O'Reilly. He killed Jonathan O'Reilly, and so did Thomas Henson. Because at first I was being nice and all, and then I was like, nah. But the second day and third day, I was like, nah, there's no point even going there with him because they just weren't treating me like they were just making up lawyers after lawyers after lawyers. I didn't go there to be something that I wasn't. I didn't go there to throw my weight around. I tried to be civil and as nice and polite as I could. And they said, why are you wearing a suit? You never wore a suit before. I said, because my mom bought it for me and I wanted to show a bit of respect to Jonathan's family. And they said, how did you feel after Jonathan got murdered? So I wanted to go home to be man. Everyone started laughing. I said, I don't know where they're laughing for. I'm serious. People thought that was funny. I didn't find it funny. I was deadly serious. That's what I wanted. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be there. I wanted to be home in Matthews. Safest place to be. I didn't give all this provide or people. I think I think people were expecting a completely different person to come in. I think people were expecting this scumbag to come in and was about to be roaring and shouting and this big howie like and <laughs> it's just not who I am. And I wasn't gonna to pretend to be something that I wasn't. Like. I accepted, I admitted everything, everything I admitted. They said, you sold drugs? And I said, yeah. I said, but he made me. They said, you done robberies? I said, yeah, he made me. They kept telling me to stop saying that. His barrister kept saying, yeah, one here, one he needs to stop saying that. And I kept saying, no. I said, everything you were saying is true. I've done everything you've said. But he made me do it. And that's what he didn't like. And that's all I've done. I didn't have to do all that roaring and shouting and all. Everything they said I'd done, that I did do, I admitted it. And I think that was the best way to go about it. I didn't lie, I didn't say I didn't do this, I didn't do that. Anything I did do that Kenny made me do, I admitted that I'd done it. I think no matter what you do in life, the truth is always going to come true in the end. If the truth will always get up, catch it. It's always going to come out. So there was no point saying I didn't do them things when I did do them. There wasn't, I didn't need to lie. Like I had the facts were there, like it was, everything was in black and white. I'd given it, I had everything. I had an answer for everything that they had because I knew it was the truth. And at the end of the day, if I kept saying, what I kept saying is, if you did not commit to murder, get up and give evidence and tell them where you were that day. If Brian Kenny and Thomas Henson did not murder Jonathan O'Reilly, why did they not get up and tell? Why would they not give evidence on their behalf and say, what? Why, where, where's the alibi? Where were they? Why, where did the gun from? from? Where did the boy come from? Where did the letter come from? Where was the car? How come, where, where did all this evidence, where did I get all this evidence from? And where were they that day then? If they did not murder the Jonathan O'Reilly in Cloverhill Prison on the 17th of April, where were they? 
what's the alibi? I know where they were. They were at the prison shooting them. And they came back to the house. And they were in the kitchen, smoking heroin, doing cocaine. While I hid the gun, burned the letters, checked the teletext. I know where they were. So why couldn't they tell people where they were? And so they eventually do come back with a verdict? Force came back with Kenny was convicted of the gun, ammunition, and then threats to kill. The ones he gave the threats to kill, I knew they had to convict him with the murder. Then they came back with the murder. That was overnight then. That was Kenny was done. Then Henjin was the next day. Threats to kill. When they went away and the murder. Then they were called back in then. And then they were then they were given life. And they were sentenced to life. Where were you when you heard this? I was in the same hotel where it all began. Exactly the same hotel. It's mad, actually. Quite ironic. It was actually the same hotel where I went the same night after I get after I um, gave the gun all. Everyone went to celebrate, but I didn't feel like celebrating. I don't think uh, was. I, don't, I didn't think I'd to celebrate. When you say everyone, who was that? The guards and everybody met up. Not like they just met up to have a drink and like there was a big thing for all them and but I think I had food and I went home. I said I'd just take me back to my room. I didn't really see out of much of it. I know Jonathan's family had asked to see me, the O'Reilly family had asked to meet me, they weren't allowed. I didn't feel like celebrating. I think I'd done, me, I'd done what I had to do. I got Jonathan justice and I was worn out, had enough. I didn't even want to live, never mind. I just felt like I thought, I kind of felt like, yeah, I'd done, I, my job here is done now, that makes them let me, let me see what's next. Let me see what's happening. I don't think it lasted long, I think it lasted two or three days and I took an overdose. Week, a week at the most. Just remember getting pumped out in the hospital. And at that point, I mean, what's running through your head? Like, you, on one level, you seem to have a sense of like closure. This that this is over, and you're able to move on. But clearly, something is. After the first day in the trial, I kind of thought to myself, well, "This is like this is me against them now." I could really feel the war, like I had to fight. I wouldn't say worn up because it wasn't about winning, it was about justice. Once I got the justice for Jonathan, everything was gone then. Kind of the, the fight had gone, the adrenaline had gone, I kind of came back to earth then. I kind of been, I kind of got in and done the 12 rounds, does that make sense? I kind of done my boxing, got in there, had the fight, got back out, got the result I needed, got the family the result they needed got the guards what they needed and I kind of just kind of exhausted then I kind of wanted just to be left alone and kind of just wanted to yeah I was kind of ready to go then I was kind of happy to take the tablets and hopefully not wake up kind of I was at peace with it then that kind of made sense I kind of thought like I've done what I was needing now I've given everybody what they wanted just get me back to my gaff got back to the gaff got enough drink enough tablets as I could and 
एक पाँव चाप तो चाप हाथ और हेल्दी करने तेरे गांव पर जिस पर गुप्त है ना हॉस्पिटल ने वो पंप में स्टोमेस या आर्ब्स आई हैड एनफ